to see how quickly kind of the, the switch flipped from, oh my God, we're doomed. It's going to take two years to recover from this. You know, companies are going out of business to an entire industry, basically Scrooge McDucking and rolling around in its money. It's insane. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 103. How you living, world? We are back. We are at it. It's still not... Uh, Episode 111, the mystery episode. Was it 111? <laughs> We're going to have to come up with something. Like, I'm changing like, it every week because yeah, I don't know. Just kind of increment that number. It's not just wait till episode 114, guys. Yeah, because you never know. You never know. Topics today, Tony. Unintended consequences of golf's major boom. Uh, not to be Debbie Downer, but, you know, bigger picture and things. And I got a couple quick hitting questions for you, Tony. This or that so we're gonna pick your brain and and jump right that. into it that tony takes that good Ooh, we out <laughs> you just you just picked an interesting situation uh uh for this week but before we get to that we know golf's been under a big boom right they call it the co i mean you can argue covid pandemic had uh an interesting impact on the golf industry in that it in droves, right, drew people to the game. Net result is you saw more people playing. It's one of the few activities a lot of people could do. Tea times came under uh, high demand, course access, high demand. And for a large part, right, equipment companies have benefited. No question, right? For sure. Yeah, it is pretty amazing even now, I mean, what are we two plus years into this to see how quickly kind of the, the switch flipped from, oh, my God, we're doomed. It's going to take two years to recover from this. You know, companies are going out of business to an entire industry, basically Scrooge McDucking and rolling around in its money. It's insane. So, yeah, it's been good. <laughs> I yeah, guess. I mean, that March third, second, third week in March. When it kind of started, there were a number of smaller companies and even bigger companies we talked to where it's like, really, like the sky is falling. We don't know what is next. We don't know what this is going to look like. And that wasn't just for golf. That was, I mean, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic and saying kind of life as we know it. You know, what what is this whole thing going to look like? And, and on the other side of that, it's like, oh, my word. Golf has boomed. And with that, monetarily speaking, right, these major companies have, and, and minor companies, right, almost uniformly, if you could not do well in the golf industry in the last two years, you know, you couldn't play dead in a Western, right? Like, you just, I mean, and so we focused on that, and we gives us more things to talk about, right? No doubt. But it hasn't been all good. And there have been some... I mean, this is just being realistic, right? So, you know, as we've kind of poked around a little bit, what are the things we should be also talking about, noticing, discussing, um, that are very, very real to a lot of people out there, I guess? Yeah, I think you're starting to see some little bit of grumbling from, from the core golfers as, as course availability and tee times continue to be scarce. You know, it's... If I want to go play golf, you know, a few years ago, I could pretty much go anytime. And now, you know, as a member of a semi-private course, um, which is just a, a really a 
sugar-coated way of saying public when you get right down to it. Right, because if it's semi-private, it's also semi-public. Yeah. <laughs> semi-private is mostly public. Um, right. Right. It's afternoon. It's crazy, like afternoon tea times, which, you know, typically not the most desirable. If I've got something going on in the morning and, and you know, want to scoot over, like that requires advance notice. Sure. Didn't used to be. Um, you have a lot of, you see it, they call them what, golf bros, right? You've seen that kind of thrown around, which thrown around. Um and I don't know, right? You, you don't want to be too judgmental, but you also kind of like, hey, maybe maybe these guys are just a little too relaxed on the course. And I'm not talking like I don't I don't care if you want to play in a T-shirt like that. That should be fine. Um, but there there is a limit, right? Um, slow play is an absolute nightmare right now. Uh, and, you know, some of that comes from experience. Some of that, too, I think maybe purely speculative here but with new golfers you know most of us are are sort of almost taught the game right you don't just go hey i got nothing else to do let's try this golf thing it's usually somebody leads you into it and that person kind of shows you the rope teaches you the etiquette things like that i think there's probably less of that taking place is it's sort of like well hell let's you know let's go to this big green area and whack a ball around Uh, so i mean certainly some some negatives there but yeah, everybody seems to be doing pretty well with it. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting right, kind of line in between, you know, I don't think you're going to be the first person that's going to advocate for a really strict dress code or something like that. Or, you know, unbelievable. you want the game to be as welcoming as possible, right? But it's, there. you know, what's the line between being welcoming and then also being in a position where it's not degrading the experience of other people, right? In in Colorado, we, we see it a lot with skiing. And, you know, there's a point where, and this this is maybe the case for golf a little bit, but eh, maybe not so much, is there's like a lot of safety issues when you're skiing and people are going fast, don't know what they're doing or or whatever. There's safety issues, right? And, and trying to figure out how does golf welcome those people, but it kind of transfers into an article you and I both read. Um, Shane Ryan had one talking about kind of the PGA uh, members, professional staff at the courses, um, and really, you know, what is kind of the plight of what's turning into a labor shortage in the industry. And I don't know, a couple of things hit me from that article, but I'd love to hear what you took out of it. And what what did that kind of get you thinking about or kind of churning on a little bit? Yeah, I think I think reading through it, I mean, just a tremendous piece by Shane Ryan on, on Golf Digest. If you haven't seen it, go. Maybe we can figure out how to put up a link. We're not the we're not the YouTube guys, um, but just tremendous piece on on sort of the plight of the the club professional and really kind of how rough and almost unforgiving that job can be. And, and a lot of what I read confirmed a, a lot of what I what I kind of expected or suspected was the reality being a member and and seeing, you know, what goes on in my club year over year where we're now on, I want to say, you know, five, fourth, maybe probably fifth, maybe six professionals in the 12 years that I've been there. And in fairness, one of those guys was kind of so overwhelmed before he even get started that he was hired in the winter and and quit before the course opened in the spring. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's basically just a, a series of very short stories about golf pros being grossly overworked and, you know, in, in many cases highly underpaid. And it was kind of interesting. One of the numbers that stuck out was like the, 
the average salary for a golf professional, a head golf professional at the club has increased to just over a hundred thousand, which, you know, that's good money. Unless you kind of yeah. start to factor it in, like, you know, what is this on an hourly basis? That's one piece of it. And then the other piece is, well, well, that's an average. And I got to think that, True. you know, when you're dealing with the elite clubs of the world, right? Augusta National, not paying its pro a hundred grand, right? That's a, right. that's a Mind much, Valley. much, yeah. right. Those are, those are bigger numbers. And so I think you have sort of like the, you know, the, the one, two, maybe 5% of like elite golf professional gigs really raising that number up. I suspect, you know, if we were to look at the median number, it would be, be quite a bit lower still. So yeah, just, I mean, really telling and, and it does make you kind of wonder like what does what does the future of that profession look like mm-hmm. well and I, it got me thinking a little bit too like how does that impact the other pieces of the industry right like we focus a lot on equipment and one of the things i took out of there a lot was basically pros saying how much more they want the things that that they wanted to do like lessons right being outside playing maybe some as as well and having the job kind of shift to more administrative tasks, right? Doing inventory and, you know, handling member requests or being in the pro shop, kind of being a more or less a checkout teller, right? Or kind of a uh, a fast food type of operation where you're basically there to fulfill member requests, service them, do, you know, do what needs to get done and then move on to the, to the next thing. And, and you're more or less seen as a disposable asset rather than something for the club to, to kind of build around. And then it got me thinking like, well, no wonder. Like, how has green grass changed so much? And and what does that mean, like, from an equipment standpoint moving forward? Like, are people going to go in and get fit by their local pro? It sure doesn't sound like it. You know, are people going to go in and, and local pro, you know, they go and say, hey, what ball, you know, oh, man, I'm, uh, I'm short. I need a dozen balls. Which one should I, should I play? And the person behind the counter has either one been there for 28 seconds, doesn't know anything, looks at their sell sheet and says, okay, uh, yep, this one is on sale now or something. Here you go. Or two is so overworked, burnt out. They're like, dude, I don't care. Buy whatever you want. It's, you know? It strikes me as kind of the, the club professional has, runs the risk of, especially, you know, head pro runs the risk of, of being one of those jobs that where the where the reality does not live up to the expectation. I right? get into it because mm-hmm. you you love golf and you you want to be around the game. And I suspect that really, you know, what we're talking about is, is a job that that is equivalent of being the general practitioner of the golf world. And so, right. I mean, you get this laundry list of responsibilities and you know, like you mentioned, fitting. Well, you know, we got demo days for that now. And I may love and that's the thing, like Maybe you got into this because fitting was part of what you loved. And that sure. that piece of the job gets trimmed off. I know a lot of guys who love doing club repair. That as a as a head pro, especially, that's probably gonna be outside your responsibility. Um, and then there's the balance between, all right, should I be in the shop putting in the FaceTime, giving lessons, that sort of thing. And that's before we get into the piece that, you know, what what Shane didn't really touch on it was from the other side or at least a different perspective of quite frankly, how awful members can be. Uh, yeah and and it's you know i've seen some of that firsthand and depending on the size of the club pick a number right but you have call it 300 members who who pay whatever the membership fee is and 
you know, I think in many cases you have golfers members who believe that, you know, that, that membership fee entitles them to not only a 100% personalized experience, this club needs to be exactly what I want it to be. Me. Right. Me and me alone, whatever I want needs to be what happens. And then, you know, the second piece of that, because you, you pay X amount, you feel like you have free reign to, to do and say whatever you want if you're not getting your way. And I think, you know, that that's a lot of what I saw is is members making life unnecessarily uh, miserable for the head pro. And I've seen that, you know, again, for more than a decade, time and time and time again. And so you wonder, like, why? Why would right. why would I, I work 80 plus hours a week, often six, seven days a week, <laughs> not playing much golf, even though that's a good bit of probably why some people got into this. And it's just right. a just to be abused in some cases. Um, yeah, it, it, it is in many ways a thankless job I've seen. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, I try and understand that and try not to bitch. That's sort of like, you know, let's, let's not nitpick stupid little stuff. Right. Well, and it, you know, I think it was maybe even at your cor- you know, your course, Tony, where there was a, an individual who tried to return a shirt that had a, <laughs> that had a stain on it, like clearly the shirt had been worn, you know, maybe even tried to be laundered, and there was a, a stain, I think, from like red wine, if, I, if I'm that not was mistaken. The story I heard, yeah. Something that was, uh, you know, pretty obvious. And, and the person, like, just expected to be able to bring it back, like, hey, you know what? This one isn't working out for me. Uh, I have soiled I like myself. I have soiled myself, and I fully expect to be reimbursed for it. Yeah. I mean, and so it's like, okay, there's got to be, I would love to hear from people, you know, what are your craziest member complaints? Yeah, let's look stories? at it from the other side, right? Like what, what, Never mind. like, right. yeah, pros, pros have it rough. I accept that. And it is a thankless job. And quite frankly, I don't know why anyone would do it, but yeah, let's hear about stories of, of just members being miserable. And, right. You know. And you don't realize how many of you, I mean, I, I, the first thing I thought about when I was reading this article is, you know, and you know this, Tony, but I was a classroom teacher for 20 years. And similar, pu- similarly, public education. Show. I was reading through the list. I'm like, check, 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 you know, being asked to do more with less time. Check. Overworked, underpaid, you know, underappreciated by society or whatever. Yeah. Check, check, check. And let me tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> let me tell you what my kid needs, you know, and, and, and whatever. That's it, right? Don't... Individualized. It's, it's an unrealistic expectation of a fully individualized experience. Yeah. And I'm not sure that education is in a better place now. Then that you're was, gone. <laughs> yeah, that I'm gone. First of all, yeah, no, definitely, definitely better uh, that way. But you know, uh, the article did an interesting thing too. It made me think about this dynamic of people that either uh, is the way it was put to me by a teacher very early on when I was starting. to said, you know, do you work to live or do you live to work? And again, this work-life balance idea I think is hugely important. And you, you kind of saw that start to play out a little bit too. And I think you see that in, in the golf professionals and that industry as well is people, I don't care what your job is. People want to have, or a lot of people do a life outside of that job where they get other needs fulfilled or they have passions and interests. And, and again, this idea of balance, but I also get that there's a generation where that wasn't the case. You, you lived to work and you did that 
and that was so much more of your identity than than maybe it is today. And so maybe it's a generational shift, but yet you look, then you have this demographic of younger a younger labor force that maybe doesn't have that identity. And if we're going to be overly stereotypical in golf, you have probably a slightly older population playing the game that maybe has a different expectation uh, uh, around that. And so... You know, it's not like the majority of members at private courses are people that have grown up into adulthood in the last 10 to 15 years. That is a fact. I mean, it'd be interesting to see kind of as as numbers roll out as we kind of get past the COVID boom to see kind of how the average age has shifted. But, um, you know, so I, I've certainly gotten older <laughs> on a relative basis over the last couple of years. It used to be a kind of a running joke at, you know, my club for the longest time. I was I was one of the young guys. You know, I was one of the young guys when I was 45. Now you're just an old cranky bastard, right? Right. You know, and I'm sort of like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm solidly middle-aged by club standards. But, you know, if without the COVID boom... I'd still be one of the young guys. <laughs> so, I mean, there is, in that respect, it, it yeah. has been good. And, you know, so maybe so maybe some of that, right, this this infusion of, of young blood into the sport um, translates to the, to the pro shops as well, where you do get this, a little bit of that, you know, Shane mentioned in his article, right, this idea of younger guys, a, a different generation that has different expectations about, you know, what, what work needs to be. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, the, the boomer mentality of these kids today and their worth that work ethic. But at some point you also have to go the, yeah, these, these kids today aren't, aren't insane. They've figured out that there's more to life than, than going to work every day. So, I was going to say, the question is with that to me is it's not a right or a wrong, right? Where it's generation, it's, it would be really hard. I mean, you could, on one hand, you could say, Yes, you. Everybody, you know, have work ethic. Be diligent. Be thorough. Do a good job. And someone else says, "Yeah, absolutely." But I think it is wrong, though. I think it is wrong to expect somebody to work eighty hours a week, be accountable for absolutely everything and anything, and and just you know, get what is by a reasonable standard mediocre pay at best in in many cases. So I think. Yep. Yeah, you know, that is, it is an unreasonable expectation, and and you know, kudos to all the guys who are coming up, admittedly in in smaller numbers, saying, you know, what the hell with this? No, we're not going to do it that way. So maybe maybe that's the question: Is a new paradigm, a new generational paradigm, both necessary for the longevity of the golf industry, needed for the benefit of? the individuals who are doing the work and ultimately a fundamentally more healthy approach in general. Maybe the old guard is wrong. Maybe 80 hours a week and being ultimately in a service industry where it's just, yes, sir. Yep. No matter what, I will take care of that, etc. Maybe the cost for that approach is too high. And we're starting to finally see that. I, I think so, and I, I was wondering about this a little bit. And I was like, "Hey, is, is really what's changed here in terms of you know the, the PGA of America talking about diminishing enrollment in the the golf management programs?" And you wonder, is this is what's changed really just the availability of information and 
and a greater ability for for these young guys to understand what it is they're actually getting into, kind of taking mm-hmm. sort of the glamour off of it and painting a realistic position of like, look, you're going to have to grind. And you know, I get that too. There probably are a segment of the population coming up that, that just doesn't want to grind in what is traditionally been like a ladder climbing industry, right? You assistant pro and then put in your time and get a job as a head pro. And then ideally a head pro at a nicer club and a nicer club at a nicer club. And maybe you a know GM. It, right? Yep. Da, 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 yeah. Da, da. You're, you're the guy at Pine Valley, right? That's, that's, that's kind of the ideal. And then you realize like, that's, you know, there's, a, there's only so many of those jobs and, and most people just aren't going to get them. And so like, you know, it's, it's sort of in a, in a segmented kind of world that is kind of the golf course management piece of it. It's sort of like, you know, do you really want to grind 80 plus hours a week and, and claw your way up to, to what works out to almost like middle management, right? You're not right. certainly right. not elite status, anything like that. So right. I, I get it. Right. Great question would be to ask people in that situation. Now, okay. If you knew then what this looked like now for you over that time, you know, would you still have made that same decision? Would you, if you knew that this is what that path would look like, would you still go down that road with your eyes, you know, instead of being partially shut, probably more just wide open to, to the realities of what that, that profession might look like. And you could probably ask that question for a number of industries and a number of jobs. And, and, you know, it's not totally fair because you can't have perfect knowledge going into something, but it would be interesting. I said, do we just maybe know more now? Well, I think, I think there's greater awareness. And and again, the game has changed with, you know, we talk about launch monitors and, and places like, you know, fitting chains, club champion, GXG, TrueSpec, et cetera. You have, basically what I'm getting at is you have options now. If you want to sure. to be in golf and, and have a golf job, you don't have to go through that PGA program anymore. Like you can, you can teach and not be a PGA professional. And there are guys out there who are doing it very successfully at an Butch Harmon level. is above average. Don't believe he's a PGA. Uh, Joe Mayo, right? Joe Mayo, track man. Exactly. So you, you can do that fitters right if you want to if you want to focus on fitting you don't need to be a pga professional to be an outstanding fitter and i get there's some guys right and there are elements of the job that uh, that appeal to different people so you have guys that want to do that you probably have, have have men and women who get excited about the merchandising piece or you know basically being that more of a, a general manager role and so there's there's lots of different things you can do and a in golf and a good bit of them in in today's world don't really require that that pga program and that's you know that that's something if the pga of america wants to look at something and go hey you know what's changed well that that's a good bit of it and so you know maybe maybe kind of dial that back a little bit or adapt it to the modern world i know two guys locally who were in the program out of the program back and forth because the you know the cost just the cost of the program itself didn't justify what, what was going to come out of the other end. So there's, yep. there are lots of things to look at. And again, I'll just keep going back to this too. Um, you know, it's just sometimes members can be assholes and that yeah. part of it is super unappealing. Yeah. Yeah. More places we can go with that, but you've mentioned PGA. There's a tournament this week. And so, by the time this airs, people will be, we'll be listening yeah, we'll be to it. We're already being in Day two, theoretically, so we'll see how ridiculous we end up looking. Unless rain. Who do you like this week, Tony? Prognosticate 
It's going to be Friday. People are going to call you like an idiot in or a like genius. If, if you want to know who's actually going to win, go find Rick Rungood and uh, <laughs> maybe get a legitimate pick. But, I mean, there are stories, right? Tiger. Tiger uh-huh. is in the yeah. field, I believe. And I got to think that this uh, Southern Hills here is going to be a much easier walk than Augusta. So that's... It can't know, that's, be a whole lot harder. That's a compelling storyline. Jordan Spieth in a position for the career Grand Slam, as he's been you know, for the last several years, if we're being honest. But this time around, it feels like he could actually win it. So yeah. that that's kind of awesome. I, you know, Ricky Fowler's in the field, and I would love to see him kind of just come out and what seems like nowhere, big comeback and win it. That would be awesome. Unlikely, I, but, but I would awesome. love to see Ricky do that. I don't think it's going to happen unless he switches his golf ball, but story for a different day. And then you have, you know, like, be legitimate, just the PGA professional guys. And, and how, I mean, again, you want to talk about worse odds than Ricky, but like, what if one of these, you know, one of these club professionals just came out of nowhere and just somehow managed to have like a, just a magic week. That's always like, that would be the best case, right? Is, yeah. You know, everybody. We could use tiger. a. Tiger's always the best story. case, but failing tiger, give me a. Uh, Give me some rando guy that you'd never heard of. I was actually, I was looking at the field online. Yeah. They do a nice job. They got pictures of everybody. It's always funny. You like, cause I don't watch a ton of PGA. I could, you know, I, I recognize names. And so I, I kind of assume that if I don't recognize the name, it's probably a PGA professional. But right. what's great is like, you look at the pictures and like, you know, the, the guys with the contracts all have their Titleists and their, their pink hats. And then there's just like <laughs> right. a guy with a random hat or no hat at all. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> yep. I'm pulling for you, man. You, yep. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. That guy I, is my guy. I saw uh, they showed earlier this week to the that guy. concession prices. <laughs> the prices, like, we make such a big deal of it at the Masters because everything is ridiculously inexpensive, you know. Um, I expect when you go to a tournament, Disneyland, a professional sports game, Things are always more expensive, right? The uh, you know, it the concessions are always. It's not where you go for a good deal, it's but this is the patio furniture of everything. It this is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it was like you see like a a nineteen dollar Stella or some such. Yeah, hmm. a Michelob Ultra eighteen bucks or something for one. Sold for one. <laughs> is it a big cup? Like, what do we get here? I. I don't know. I mean, so it got me thinking about this, Tony. What would you, what do you think would have more value on the secondary market inside the ropes or perhaps a, uh, a beer from the concession stand or a Titleist Pro V1 left dot? Which is more valuable in the market in that particular part of the market. remarkably as an individual item, the beer trumps the left dot by based on my, <laughs> my latest understanding of eBay pricing. Like you could like, the left dot. Yeah. You would, you would need to trade you know, a couple, maybe even a full sleeve to, to break even there. That's. And that's just, uh, that's just where we're at. That's critical. Right? What the hell? Yeah. Like uh, I mean, fan friendly way to go. Way to go. Yeah. Chances. It's, Shame on you. Get what a, get some better. I mean, come on, Michelob Ultra, right? They dropped Phil as a sponsor, right? I believe that is correct. I, so they saved some if, cash there. <laughs> well, if, if they sponsored Phil, they dropped him. That's pretty much how. Well, yeah, right. 
Come on, man. Come on. People. You know, I so when I worked at Dude, I worked at an indoor golf place uh, for a couple winters, and in terms of you know return on investment, profit margin, the yeah. the best bang for the buck was on a keg of Bud Light. That, like that's where we made the money. Uh, and and we, yeah, we were selling those for like gouging people, like in four general. bucks a pop. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, screw you on, on <laughs> that. Is yeah, that's yeah. I guess yeah. Let's let's just say that. All right, quick okay. hitters. Got a couple two more questions bitches. for you, Tony. Yeah, my golf spy era equipment. So we'll call it the last decade to twelve years, ten to twelve years. So 2010. Okay. We're gonna hit on a couple of these in episodes today. We are going to start false with drivers okay the best driver by whatever metrics you want to use i don't care and the worst what is the best driver in the last 10 to 12 years my gosh by era and what is the worst driver in the last 10 to 12 years so i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you two really good ones okay so because they kind of span like more recent history and then Ancient history. So more recently, uh, Ping G400 LST. That is one that to me is just like kind of a paradigm shift. Like that thing was just like for its time where it was so good to the point where Ping was like, yeah, we kind of exceeded our expectations. Remember they delayed the the 410 and everybody's like, ah. To like June. It was supposed to be January and then it wasn't until like June. People like, oh, they're just trying to stretch out the market. And the the engineers are in my ear going, yeah, we just. So kind of outkicked our coverage. Yeah, we did a little was, bit too. Yeah, it was really difficult to beat. And the other one that sticks out kind of early my golf spy era, the Adams 9064 LS. LS. So kind of a What do you classic. remember about that one? What what Yeah, just like it was just so here? good. It was it was long and it just felt good. It looked good. And you know, for my money, the last great Adams driver. So yeah, I mean, just kind of that memorable. Um, Last of an era, worst. How about the worst? There have been some absolute duds. Yeah, um, I think in terms of just if we're using performance as the metric, kind of overall, man, I would say the Torridge hot launch from last year was pretty bad. Um, Bomb tech grenade. Um, <laughs> Kind of stands out as being particularly bad. Yep. Uh, and then you have kind of, kind of bad for different reasons. So ugly bad, power pod two, <laughs> and then you kind of get into the kind of the really pitchy stuff. Like there was a a cobra that was super super uncomfortably loud at one point. I can't even remember all the kind of the yeah the pre amp cell stuff when they were just kind of starting to mess around with composite and, you know, Sasquatch type loud. So there was like mm. the ones that sound bad. And then there was like just the, the ones that should have never been made for performance reasons. Yeah. I think about anything with, with a square or a triangle shape to it, <laughs> or I think that, that era, like you look back on like eras in fashion. <laughs> Titleist is like never happened. Never. What do you mean? Triangle shape driver. Never. Never heard of it. Never seen well, it. Check our website. We didn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> like Never. you look back at eras in in it's not in the archives in fashion, and even people that wore it at that time look back and go, "God, what was I thinking? Like that was just awful." Don't and I think on, don't hate on the FTIZ. <laughs> Come on, you know, I, I just anything square or triangle. Just, no. yeah. The fatiz was good. 
For tis. I can't. I just can't do it. IQ bad is good. IQ bad, IZ good. I don't know. But there have been some. Yeah, legendary ping. Is that how Doc would say it? We call it the IZ. Doc Hawk. All right. Yeah. Doc Hawk would call it that. Anyway. I like IZ. Suck it. Tell us your stories, people. Bad can. If you're a golfer out there, be nice, right? Be happy. Be just polite. Don't be a dick. Treat people. Be nice to the people at the courses that are there working hard. If you have a great story to share, me, I'll pick the best story and absolutely give you a Japanese head cover. 100% true. Because <laughs> we've got, like we got 78 <laughs> more to go. And between now and then, find us and follow us. Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C. And until then, we will see you next time. We out. We out.